0: Our first reading today comes from Psalm 42. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. The word of the Lord.
1: morning second reading comes to us also from the old testament from the hebrew biblical tradition this time from the book of first kings and we jump right into a very very famous section of the book of first kings and this deuteronomic deuteronomic cycle in the old testament that, that tells the story of the ongoing conflict really a war between evil queen Jezebel and King Ahab on one hand, and the prophet Elijah who is serving, representing the one God of Israel on the other. In the point of view of the Old Testament, of course, Ahab and Jezebel are the villains. They uh, worship the god Baal and uh, sort of a polytheistic sort of pantheon of various different gods. And the story is really how this God with no name and no image, the God of Israel emerges throughout the decades and the centuries uh, to become the God that eventually uh, is very established over Israel and also, of course, becomes the God of the Christians as well. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to us in the 19th chapter of the book of 1 Kings. Just We pick up just after Elijah the prophet has defeated the many prophets of the god Baal, the god of thunder and war uh, on, the, on Mount Carmel, all of these prophets of Baal, the non-religious, non, non-Jewish prophets, so to speak, have been defeated and destroyed, and Elijah, it seems, would be kind of sitting pretty and pretty proud of himself and comfortable, but that is not the case because Jezebel is a powerful and vindictive leader. And we begin with verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your, take, make your life like the life of one of them, I, in other words, dead by tomorrow. Then Elijah was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba and sat down under a solitary broom tree and asked that he might die. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking my life to take it away the word of the Lord said go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord because the Lord is about to pass by now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. O God, may the meditations of our hearts together upon your word to us this beautiful day, this challenging day in these troubled times be life-giving to us, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Elijah is frustrated here. More than that, he's afraid. He's running for his life. He's exhausted. Where do you go? when you're exhausted and frustrated, maybe even afraid. Better question might be where do you go when you're overwhelmed with stress or things you've got to do that aren't going well when there are problems you hadn't anticipated and all on top of problems that you had? When the world is so full of bad news that you don't know what to do? There is a lot of frustration in this country these days. Today, where do you go to find the voice that's going to give you true peace and calm, that's going to tell you where to go, who to be in the midst of all of the chaos that is going on? I, I. I watch and listen and go on the on the online to ESPN more and more, and I don't even touch the news. I mean, I love sports, but I love the news too, but not these days. Where do you go to escape? Or where do you go to find that voice, that best part of yourself that will? lead you forward, because they're not the same thing. Too often I, when I'm exhausted or frustrated or scared, too often I just escape. Which for me often means plopping on the couch with what we call in my family the clicker, and I start to click. And it's just sort of a way of forgetting for a while. That's not the same thing, settling for an escape is not the same thing as being intentional about finding that place of peace and fulfillment and direction that we're all looking for. Escaping is not the same thing thing as slowing down and pausing and listening for the word, for guidance, for the spirit. What makes you slow down? Because I I I know a lot of you move pretty quickly from day to day, especially if you have children and you're driving them 18 places at once, I'm still pretty famous. My kids are a little bit older now, but I was a pretty terrible carpool dad. I left more than one soccer player at Branchbrook Park. I mean, not Branchbrook Park. <laughs> uh, at all these different parks. I'm, I, I'd get that phone call or that text from somebody's mother. Have you picked up Jimmy? Oh, yeah. What makes you slow down? What makes you break a little bit? Here are just a few of those breaking bumper stickers that I've seen over the years. I break for animals, but I only swerve for pedestrians. I've seen I break for snakes, I break for turtles, I break for children, I break for squirrels. My favorite I break for squirrels bumper sticker is I break for squirrels, then yell at them like a concerned parent. I've seen I break for butterflies, I break for unicorns, I break for bunnies, and there are a lot of bunnies around these days. I break for Beethoven, I've seen. I have other bumper stickers which are not in the same genre but are funny. I break, one I love is Adults on Board, We Want to Live Too. Or my, one of my favorite bumper stickers is Sorry for Driving So Close in Front of You. <laughs> <laughs> having just been rear ended, I definitely know that one. Here's one I believe in a better world where chickens can cross the road without having their motives questioned. But let's get back to the theme for the day. I break for ice cream, that's me. I break for men in kilts, that's Presbyterian. I break for sunsets, I break for hallucinations, is a good one. In other words, I break, I pause for what matters to me. So what makes you pause for what matters to you? That pause, that breaking that we all need, turns out to be important in the context of this reading today from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, but also pausing and listening for peace and direction, I think is really important in this frustrating, conflicted, angry, fast-paced world in which we live. Elijah, as I said, is frustrated, actually to the point of despair and abject fear and he's coming off a big victory. Isn't that how it goes sometimes? Things go really, really well. We think we're going to be happy at least for a while and one little thing and we're back in it. Back in the mix, back in the frustration and the sort of the washing machine of being tossed around with the ups and downs of life. Queen Jezebel has put a hit out on the prophet Elijah. That's what's going on here. As revenge for his defeating and killing all of her prophets, the prophets of her god Baal, on top of a mountain called Mount Carmel. And as revenge for Elijah showing off his gods, the god of Israel's power and superiority, this powerful queen now is after Elijah. She hears from Ahab everything Elijah has done and she sends Elijah a message. You're a dead man. Elijah wisely, turns tail and runs, runs for his life. He's terrified. He travels all the way south through the land of Judah down to the great desolate wilderness desert of Beersheba, and there he pleads with God not for deliverance, not for inspiration. He pleads with God just to die. He's giving up. He's going to give Jezebel what she wants without a fight. He says it is enough here in the text, but the But the Hebrew translation has more of the the connotation of, I've had enough. I can't bear any more. This is just too much. And there he is, starving in this scorching heat. He curls up to fall asleep, head sort of probably on a rock, never to wake up again. He's done. But we make plans, and God laughs. That's a biblical truism. But there's a corollary to that, which never gets really added, and that is if God is laughing at our plans, God's close by. God is with us, taking us forward, even if it's somewhere we don't expect to go, maybe even don't want to go. And here we have the first theophany, the first appearance of God in this text. There in the desert, in the kind of between the two parts of the text we read this morning, God somehow provides Elijah with a delicious breakfast of pancakes and cool water, something you don't find in the middle of a desert. And Elijah finally accepts this nurture and support because, as most of us force ourselves to do, there's no other option for him. And then he's willing to take help and not to try to do it all alone. God sends Elijah on a journey from that point after feeding him and giving him his strength back for 40 days and 40 nights, which is a formula meaning a long biblical time, right? evokes Moses in the wilderness, Jesus in the wilderness, Noah on the ark, and after 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah arrives at Mount Mount Horeb, which most scholars think is the same mountain as Mount Sinai, where Moses centuries before had received the Ten Commandments. Ha ha Elohim, the mountain of God, is what Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai is called. You think it's really two peaks sort of on the same mountain. One thought to be the mountain of the sun, the other the mountain of the moon, nobody really knows, but there Elijah discovers a cave high up on the mountainside And here's the second epiphany. As he arrives in the cave, the word of the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? But the connotation which doesn't really come through in the English translation is kind of what I ask my children sometimes. What are you doing here when you're supposed to be somewhere else? What are you doing here and not where you're supposed to be? In response to that question, Elijah complains and whines and feels sorry for himself. He seeks to justify himself. He describes to God how bad things are for him. I have been zealous for the Lord. I've been working for you, Lord. But everybody, all the Israelites, have turned their back on you, which also means turn their back on me. They're wrong. They're bad. They're evil. It's actually not even true if you read the story leading up to this text. Elijah is embellishing and exaggerating There are others around. He goes, I alone am left, but there are other prophets of God still alive. Elijah complains, though, to God, they're trying to kill me. And God doesn't coddle Elijah here. The answer is simply, go stand on the mountain because God is about to pass by. It evokes the story, ancient story, of Moses himself on top of Mount Sinai, hiding in the cleft of the rock as the Lord passes by. But this time, it's Elijah in a cave. And as he's in that cave looking out, a great, violent wind suddenly comes up so strong it breaks giant rocks into pieces. But God is not in the wind. It would seem like in that awesome display of power God would be there, but Elijah discovers that God's not there. Then there's this earthquake. If the wind weren't enough, but God is not in the earthquake. And then there is a fire up there on the mountain that kind of shoots down across the mountain, burns everything but the cave, but God is not in the fire. All these symbols, all these things, which typically accompany theophanies, appearances of God, don't have God in them in this story. And then finally, there is this really unprecedented phrase that nobody really knows how to translate, kol dama dakah, which we translated in our text, the sound of sheer silence or an eerie calm. The traditional translation is a soft, gentle voice, a still, small voice, but really it's no voice at all. It's the absence of any sound we don't know how what, how what to call it. We don't know how to translate it exactly. Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar says, in the end, it is evident that the phrase is beyond us. Care has to be taken here that you do not take the phrase out of context because in context, it is a prelude to a demanding confrontation between God and Elijah. It is not the offer of intimate solace because an offer would seem incongruous to both parties in this story. God is not there to comfort in the way we'd like to be comforted sometimes. Oh, that's so, so, I feel so bad for you. It must really, that must really hurt. That's not God's way sometimes. Instead, when Elijah hears that still small voice, something compels him to wrap his face in his mantle to cover his face because he senses he's in the presence of the divine. He goes to the mouth of the cave And he hears again, this time in this quiet voice, what are you doing here, Elijah? And why aren't you where you're supposed to be? And once again, Elijah gives the same self-absorbed three-part answer. I've been zealous for the Lord. The other prophets have turned their back on you, and now they're trying to kill me. The Korean biblical scholar is really brilliant, Chun Leong Sao, says the manifestation of the divine presence to Elijah has apparently made no difference in his understanding. Isn't that the truth, right? God speaks to us, we feel it, we know it somehow, we feel like now we're gonna learn this lesson finally, and then of course we forget pretty fast. But again, there's no pity and coddling here, no indulging uh, Elijah at all, or his tendency, or our tendency to blame our situation or other people for our problems, but this time, The Lord God directs Elijah simply to get back to work. To keep working for God's kingdom on earth. To go anoint Hazael, to go choose Elisha as your successor. Elijah's getting kind of long in the tooth at this point. I can relate. Silence, service. Pause, breaking, working top of the mountain, down in the valley. Break, slow down, listen, even in the midst of all this frustration, because God is not in the war. God wants to equip you and then send you down to work for what you believe in, to serve, to care, to love, to fight for justice, to feed the hungry. advocate for rights for all people, to have control over their own lives. God is in the silence. My hunch today is that when we look in the fire or the earthquake or the mighty winds that are blowing back and forth, we're going to look for God there and sort of on one side of things or the other, and a lot of times we're not going to find God there. We're going to find God inside, in that place where we can pause and look within. And when we look in the silence, we're gonna find not just God but ourselves and be refreshed and renewed and determined once again to go out and bring the kingdom to reality. May it be so, may we be blessed on that journey. Break for the sound of silence.